Well, before I get into my message, why don't I just pray? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you're doing a new thing. Thank you that it's a new day. And you've got amazing things ahead of us this year. Things that we never dreamed of or thought were possible. So Father, I just uh, I just thank you for this next 20 or 30 minutes that you will just uh, speak through me, God. I thank you for choosing me. Just a weak, broken vessel to share your truth this morning. And uh, I pray that no one leaves here the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Why don't you give someone a high five this morning? Give them a high five. It's good to be in church. And uh, this morning I'm speaking a message called The Power of a Vow, The Power of a Vow. And, uh, you know, you can't really start a New Year's message without, uh, you know, talking about some of the uh, top 10 resolutions that people have at the start of a year. And so I wanted to share some of these. They're always goodies, but they're generally the same every year. People trying to do the same thing that they didn't do the year before. But here's the top 10 Resolutions, And this was from 2015, so this is from last year. Uh, and this is American, but we're pretty similar to those guys. So the number one uh, resolution for 2015, and you probably know what it is, uh, was to lose weight, lose a few kgs. Uh, the second one is getting organized. Getting organized. This is such a great time to do that. I found myself the other day just going through the drawers, you know those drawers that just find themselves with, with all random stuff, batteries and clips and all the weird stuff. And I, I was just like, I'm, I'm going to get organised for 2016. So I was going through, through all my drawers. Now, number three, spend less, save more. Number four, enjoy life to the fullest. Number five, stay fit and healthy. Uh, number six, learn something exciting. I think that's a good one to do every year. Maybe you want to take up a language this year. Maybe Japanese. Konnichiwa. If you need help, I'm quite fluent, as you can see. Uh, Number eight, help others in their dreams. I thought that was a good one. Actually, I missed number seven. Number seven was quit smoking. Make sure you quit smoking before you help others in their dreams. Uh, Number nine, fall in love. And number ten, spend more time with family. So pretty, pretty good uh, resolutions. And the funny thing is that uh, from this study, it says that uh, the percent of people who are actually successful in achieving uh, their resolution is 8%. So uh, it's not too encouraging. But, but the study here does also say that people who generally make a resolution are 10 times more likely to achieve their goal than other people. So there is some purpose 
in setting goals, resolutions. Hands up anyone who sets some goals around this time of year, resolutions, two people. Well, hopefully you guys, you guys are 10 times more likely to achieve your goals. So you can uh, hang on to that promise for you. But you know, the Bible, it, it doesn't necessarily speak about setting resolutions, but it does speak about the power of vows and the significance that a vow can make between you and God. You see, vows, vows are powerful. They have the power to keep you when you don't want to be kept. And a vow is defined as a solemn promise or to dedicate to someone or something. If you're married in here, then you'll probably remember that day when you shared vows with one another. I remember uh, when I shared vows with my wife, I was uh, the tender age of 20. And, uh, and uh, I was so, I had just turned 20. My birthday's in October. Uh, we got married in November. So I'd literally been 20 for a month. So I was young. I know what you're thinking. I, I look great for my age. Um, but uh, I was young when, when we shared our vows. But I remember that moment when Katie was walking down the aisle, when my bride was walking down the aisle, and I literally was just bawling my eyes out. I was just like, and it wasn't just a few tears. It was, it was almost convulsing. Like it was like, <laughs> like it was, it was getting bad. And Pastor Old was doing the wedding and, and he had tears in his eyes. And I've got this great photo of all the groomsmen standing behind me and they all had tears in their eyes. And, and so there was lots of emotion. What no one knew was I was crying because I was thinking, what have I done? <laughs> just joking, just joking. They were tears of joy, not regret. And, uh, but, you know, I, I look back on that moment and I think, wow, what, what an incredible thing to share vows with someone. Like Katie and I looked each other in the eyes and in front of, uh, you know, obviously God, but, but everyone there, we shared these vows that we would stay committed to each other, to love each other for the rest of our lives. Vows are powerful. You know, in Judges 13, we're introduced to a man named Samson. You may have heard of him. And he was a man who lived his entire life under these vows, under a set of vows. And it was his devotion to these vows that actually caused the Spirit of God to come upon him and do the assignment that God had called him to do. You know, when we look at Samson, we can learn a lesson from his life. And that is that obedience to a vow between you and God attracts the power and presence of God in your life. So you got your Bibles, uh, Judges 13. Wanted just to share a little bit about this guy, Samson. Judges chapter 13, verse 1. You can turn there. And it says this, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless. Thank you for stating the obvious, Mr. Angel. But you are going to become pregnant. And give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean. You'll become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor, because the boy is to be a Nazarite 
dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. If you skip over to verse 24, it says, The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahanedan. That sounds powerful, doesn't it? Between Zorah and Eshtel. Samson here as a young man, Zorah was his hometown, so the reference here is that he was still at home with his parents in this time. And as a young man, the Spirit of God begins to stir this man who was called to be a Nazarite from birth for his whole life. The word Nazarite means to separate or a separated person. And so living under this Nazarite vow, it meant that there were certain things that an individual would have to abide by. The first thing was that during this season of separation, because it would generally be just a season that a person would enter into a Nazarite vow, and normally no less than a year, but uh, normally just a season. And so the first uh, thing that an individual would abide by was making sure that they didn't drink any wine or strong drink. Uh, They were never to touch any dead bodies, which is probably a good thing. Uh, During the time of separation, they were uh, considered as a priest as well. And so uh, they would never do any work or employment uh, other than their priestly duties. So uh, for Samson, when he entered into this time, he was considered as a priest. Uh, The Nazarite vow also meant uh, that for this season of separation... Uh, they would let their hair grow, uh, they would never, never cut it, and part of this was proof, their hair was proof uh, of their separation to God, of their Nazarite vow. And when people saw them, when other Israelites saw them, they would know that they were under this vow of unusual strictness. And so the only difference between Samson and anyone else who entered into a Nazarite vow was that uh, Samson would have no razor touch his head for his whole life. And so it wasn't just seasonal that Samson was a Nazarite, but from his birth until his death, he was was a Nazarite. And so you can just imagine uh, what life may have been like for this guy, Samson. You know, I kind of think, what would life have been like when he was growing up in school? You can just imagine, you know, all the other kids, they've got... Uh, you know, their bowl cuts, because that's what you do when, when, when your kids are young. You put a bowl on their head and just cut around. You can imagine all the young kids running around with bowl cuts. And, and there's Samson just walking with his luscious locks, looking like he's just come from doing a shampoo commercial or something. Just His hair just shining. Maybe he used pal, palm olive. I, I don't know what, what he used. But he was this guy growing up under this vow. He could never cut... His hair, maybe the other kids in the playground used to call him Samsoness. There comes Samsoness, the little girl. I, I, I don't know what it would have been like for this guy growing up under this Nazarite vow, but for his whole life, he was considered as holy because as long as the Nazarite was separated to God, they were holy to him. See, this Nazarite vow, it was an outward vow, but it was led by an inward conviction. It was a vow of devotion, a vow of separation, a vow of holiness. And the result of this outward vow, and in particular the vow to never let a razor touch his head, would mean, it would mean that the anointing of God would come upon him. 
The anointing came upon Samson and he would do great feats of strength as he led the Israelites from the hand of their oppressors, the Philistines. In Judges 15 verse 14, we get a little insight into the strength that this man had. It says that uh, Samson, who was bound, he approached Leah, which was a place, and the Philistines came toward him shouting, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him powerfully, and the ropes on his arms began, uh, became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Verse 15, it says, Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, as you do, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. That's pretty impressive. And I was looking up what, an actual, what the jawbone of a donkey looks like. It's kind of got this curve in it, and, and before the teeth start, there's kind of the end where you could grab onto it, and then it kind of does an L-shaped curves at the end, so you can probably imagine where he was hitting blokes on the head. But I was thinking, man, a thousand, he used this thing to kill a thousand people. You know, and I was just thinking, you, you would think that the guys that were fighting him, when it got to 995, you think that that the guys, the five that were left, he's killed 995 people. You think the five that are left would probably work out, he's probably going to kill me as well. But I don't know if they tried to run away. If, if I was fighting Samson, I would have run away a lot earlier, worked out I'm probably going to die. I don't know if Samson was throwing his jawbone and just getting guys on the head as they were running away. But anyway, he kills a thousand blokes. This would have been a great scene, scene in a movie to watch, I'm sure. But this guy, he was, you know, as long as he was living according to this outward vow, he would be the leader that God had called him to be and he would attract the power and presence of God in his life. And we see in Judges 16 verse 4, it says, Sometime later, Samson fell in love. Everyone say, uh-oh. With a woman... In the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Everyone say Delilah. Come on, say with a bit of attitude, Delilah. She was a nasty girl. It says, the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure Samson into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. You see, Samson's strength was so great that his enemies wanted to find out what was the secret to Samson's strength. And they were going to use Delilah to find out. Because you see, when you discover the anointing of God, when you discover that sweet spot in God where you feel the flow, where you feel the river, maybe you felt it this morning in worship, where you feel that tangible presence of God, when you discover that, then all of a sudden, people will want to know what is the secret to the strength that's in your life. Samson had this strength that would come upon him. And even though when you study this, it says that Samson just looked like an ordinary man. There was nothing really that, that made him different. But he had this incredible strength in his life because he had discovered what it was uh, to move in the anointing of God. And, and the Philistines wanted to know what is the secret 
to his strength. You know, the same thing was with Jesus. When Jesus ministered, he ministered in the power of the Spirit. And the Pharisees followed him everywhere trying to work out what is this guy's secret? How is he healing people? What the Philistines didn't know was that Samson was living under a Nazarite vow, a vow between him and God. And as long as he was living under that vow, God's anointing would come upon him to defeat the enemies of Israel. You know, when I, when I look at this and when I think about this, I think, you know, I believe there's power in a vow. I believe in our world as well, just as Samson's, we need to learn what it is to have some vows. You see, this vow that Samson had, it was based on externals. It was an outward vow. It, it meant not doing certain things. And I think in our life, our Christianity isn't meant to be just something inward or something secret. But Samson, he lived his life according to a vow, an outward vow led by an inward conviction that meant that when others looked at him, they saw that he was separated and holy unto God. Now, of course, the Philistines didn't understand what a Nazarite vow was. They looked at uh, Samson. They couldn't understand what, where his strength came from. But the Israelites, his fellow brothers and sisters, would have known, as they saw his long hair, they would have known that he was separated unto, uh, unto God, that his life was lived according to this vow. And you know, sometimes people might not understand when you live according to a, a, a vow. The world may look at you and may not understand what it means to live a life separated unto God. Just like the Philistines looked at Samson and they couldn't work it out. But even though the world couldn't interpret it or understand it, those around Samson, the Israelites would have looked at his life and knew that he was wholly separated unto God. And because of this, he experienced Great strength. Great strength. You know, at the start of 2016, I want to encourage you to not just set some goals, uh, not just set some maybe resolutions, but to think about what it would look like to make a vow unto God. To say, God, at the start of this year, I, I want to make a fresh vow unto you because there is power in making a vow before God. And you'll be amazed at what God can do when you make a vow in your life and you live according to it. At the end of Psalm 23, we see David, he makes a vow. He says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David makes a vow. I'm, I'm going to dwell in God's house forever. Again, in 1 Chronicles 1.24, David says, I'm not going to bring a sacrifice to God that costs me nothing. He made a vow that when he brought an offering to the Lord, he would bring something that was real, that was his best, that would cost him something. You know, recently, I, um, during the week, I uh, was playing golf with a few guys. And on the way, on the drive down there, uh, I was with my brother-in-law. Uh, and he is a pastor at another church, uh, one of the pastors at, at the church. And... Um, we had, had a decent drive. We're going down to Cape Shank to play, which, which was great. Played with Lee at the back. Uh, probably beat him just quietly. No, nah, it was pretty close. But uh, we, had this, we had this good uh, drive going down. And it's always good uh, chain to my brother-in-law, Katie's, Katie's brother, Justin. And we got onto the topic 
of uh, just chatting about a spirit of excellence and, and what that means. And we're just both talking and uh, Justin uh, mentioned to me Jeremy Riddle, who some of you may know, he's a worship leader uh, at a church called Bethel Church in America. And he was chatting to me about this interview uh, that was had with Jeremy, Jeremy Riddle. And one of the guys asked Jeremy, how does your voice sound so good at the 8 a.m. service? They've obviously got, you know, a whole lot of services during the day. And, and someone asked Jeremy, how does your voice sound so good at the 8 a.m. service? And he said, because I get up at 4.30 and I rehearse for two hours. And apparently the room just went silent. And, you know, when I say that, I don't say that because, you know, maybe the worship leaders are freaking out thinking, oh, man, is he saying I've got to do that now? <laughs> I don't say that because, you know, we all, all need to find where that anointing is and, and where that sweet spot for you is, where that you feel that flow. And it's different for all of us. But the reason I say that is because when I heard that, and, and you know, I've watched him worship, it, it makes sense because, because often the overflow of your private world, is, it's what comes out on the stage. And I know that, that this guy, when I heard that, and it, it just spoke to me about honour. It spoke to me about excellence. And I know in my life, because I have two jobs, I'm employed one day a week for the church, but the, the remainder of the time, uh, I, I'm doing landscaping, running my own business. And it's really important for me that in the midst of that, knowing I need to provide for my family, that I don't just give God my leftover energy on a Sunday. And, and maybe if you run a business or, or whatever, even if you don't, you just... You know, we all know that our energy and how much we have, we only have so much that we can give. And within that, we must make a choice whether we will give our best to God or just our leftovers. And you know, when I heard this about Jeremy Riddle, it just encouraged me because when I look at their church, I'm inspired because I would say that they're in a revival, that there is a momentum that has come uh, where, where God is doing something incredible in their midst. And I believe it starts with individuals who will say, I, I will bring my best. I will live a life that is holy and separated unto God. A life that's lived by vows. What would it look like if you gave God your best in 2016? Not just leftovers, whether it's in work or relationships or your business in your service in the house of God, what would it look like if you gave God your best? I was looking at Gina's post on Facebook, sorry to put you on the spot, and she was saying, in 2016, I want to be my best me. And I thought, how cool is that? What would it look like to be your best you in 2016? You know, perhaps in 2016, you decide that you just want to grow spiritually, that you just... You don't want to stay the same person. You don't want to be in the same place this time at the end of the year. And so maybe your vow for, the, for this year is, God, I just want to grow. And, and maybe part of that vow is surrounding yourself with people that you know will cause you to go to a new level in God. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Make a vow to go deeper with God. You know, Samson, despite being a man of great strength, who accomplished great things in his life, he, as you, as you look deep within his life, you see he, he struggled to live out this Nazarite life. And Scripture shows us that he struggled to live according to these vows. And, 
As we read before in Judges 16.4, it tells us that Samson falls in love with Delilah. He falls in love with Delilah. I don't know if you know much about this woman, but when the Bible says that he falls in love with her, it's not to describe the nature of their relationship, but rather to describe uh, Samson's side of the relationship, that he had given his heart to her. He had given his heart to her, but she did not reciprocate with him. She was not in love with him. And we can see that the Philistines use Delilah. They pay her money and say, find out the secret of his strength. And so Delilah is acting on behalf of the Philistines that they would overpower him and subdue him. And so we see this unfold where Delilah says to Samson, tell me the secret of your strength. And then Samson gives her an answer. And then when Samson falls asleep, Delilah binds him up, tells the Philistines, and they come. And then she says, wake up, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Samson wakes up, but he, he, he breaks himself free. And Delilah says to him, why did you not tell me the secret to your strength? Don't you love me? And this happens three times over where Delilah asks him, And then she binds him up and then he wakes up and each time he breaks himself free. And Delilah is asking the question, don't you love me? And I read this and I go, what is going on? Why is he letting this woman stay in his world? It is pretty obvious she does not have his best interest at heart. You know what I'm saying? It's pretty obvious that she is asking him, what's the secret? Binding him up. And then, oh, and the Philistines are here at the door again. Why why does he just not say, see you later, honey? I'm going to find myself another woman. He doesn't do that. And it dawned on me that Samson is not in love. He's in lust. He's in lust. He can't. He can't actually say no to this woman, even though he can see the path uh, that, that he's headed on. And this is such a scary place to live in. When you can see where a road is headed, but you still choose to stay on it. Samson finds himself in lust, in deception. And even though he's on the way to compromise to compromise the very thing that God has put on his life, the gifting on his life. He, he, he stays in this relationship with this woman. And what results in Samson's life is a broken vow. A broken vow. In verse chapter 16, verse 15, Delilah says, How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. It says, with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he's told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, Told you she was nasty. 
She called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. And she called Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And this is probably one of the most tragic verses in the Bible. It says, he awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. Wow, this is crazy, because here is this guy, Samson, and when you look at his life, you see it was just little by little, gradual compromise after gradual compromise. It didn't happen overnight, but it did happen, and and often this is how the enemy works in our world. It, It can start with just little things, you know, we we miss church for a little while or we don't have accountability in our world or we, we hold a grudge or we choose not to forgive. Whatever it is, something subtle can happen and just gradually, gradually, subtly, those vows that we lived our life by, we can find them heading towards a place like Samson did where it becomes a, a broken vow. You know, it's really important that at the start of a new year, when we say, God, I, I want to go to a new place. God, I, I'm going to make some vows to go deeper with you this year. I'm going to grow. God, I want to go somewhere new. It's important that we understand that there is spiritual opposition to us moving forward and to living a life consecrated to God. You see, the devil doesn't mind if you come to church as long as he can bind you up cause you to lose your vision, and get you grinding grain. Remember, remember that Samson, he was his whole life a priest. He'd never done any other work because he was called to just serve God. And now he finds himself grinding grain. He finds himself doing something he was never called to do. And this is what the enemy wants to do. He wants to bind you so you can't move forward. He wants to gouge out. You take away your vision so you got nothing to see in the future. You can't see anything. And he wants you grinding grain. He wants you just in the place where, where it's okay, but it's not the place God has called you to be. You know, one of the things that I love is what happens next in verse 22 where it says, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. And I love this because for me it's a picture of God's grace. It's a picture of no matter what I've done or where I've been or maybe I broke a vow, maybe I walked away, but Samson's hair began to grow again. Because there was another day that God had in store. And even though Samson would have to live with the consequences, because the reality is our, our actions have consequences, despite that, God still had grace for him. And God still saw Samson as a Nazarite. As his hair began to grow, God still saw him. And I love that when we're at our worst, God still sees us as his beloved. He still sees you as his beloved. What we can learn from Samson's life is that as soon as you turn your heart towards God, 
Even if it's on the other side of a broken vow, God's grace is available. In verse 28, this is after Samson has been captured by the Philistines. He prays to the Lord. He says, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. That verse tells me that even though Samson had to live out the consequences, God had greater things in store for him. The mission for his life was to deliver his people from the hand of the Philistine people. And in this last act of strength, he killed more when he died than when he lived. God's grace was still real in his life, and God still had greater things for Samson. And you know, for you, whether you're yet to make a vow to God Or maybe you live your life according to some vows now. Or maybe like Samson, you find yourself on the other side of a broken vow. I know that God has greater things ahead for you in 2016. Why don't we just close our eyes and pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just thank you for what you're doing in this place, God. And I thank you that it's your desire to take us somewhere new in you. secret to Samson's strength was the secret place because it's in the secret place where we make vows unto God it's in that place where we make vows like David said God I will dwell in your house forever I will praise you all day long praise is not something reserved for my Sunday. It's, it's a vow that I've made that, that I will choose to magnify you in my world. When I don't understand, I, I've chosen to lift you up. Because can I tell you, sometimes the answer that we're looking for is simply to see God in His majesty, to see Him high, to see Him lifted up. Maybe this year, You make a vow that I will be a person who praises God. Maybe maybe this time of year is hard for you or you find yourself looking at others comparing, focused on what you don't have instead of what you do. 
And maybe for you this year, you make a vow of thankfulness. You say, God, thank you. When I feel that temptation to compare myself or to focus on the things that I don't have, I will say thank you for everything you've given me. Maybe you say, I make a vow to delight myself in the Lord because I know when I do that, He will give me the desires of my heart. I encourage you as we go into a new year, not just to make some goals, but to find the secret place, the place of your secret strength. And in that place where your strength comes from, to make a vow unto God. And watch what will happen as you live your life according to some vows. As you say, I I will live a life that's separated and consecrated unto you. Holy and set apart. So, So my brothers and sisters can see that I am set apart unto you. And though the world may not understand it, may not know how to perceive it. God, I am yours and you are mine. The band's just going to lead us in a worship song. And I just encourage you to just, maybe God spoke one thing to you this morning. Maybe the Holy Spirit, there was one thing that stood out to you. Why don't you just take this time as we worship to just let God minister to you. Maybe make a vow. Maybe consecrate yourself again afresh to God for this year.